Well, many studies show that we have more leisure time today than people did 100 years ago, and yet we struggle to sleep. People have done studies and they talk about a sleep poverty in our modern world. There's lots of benefits that our modern world brings, but studies have shown that there is a declining number of sleep hours for the average person. Where does this come from? Well, many people point to the fear and the anxiety that we feel in today's world. And those who market and want to sell products, they really hone in on this. There's uh, numerous apps that you can put on your phone that help you sleep well. The irony being, it could be that your phone is the very thing that's stopping you from sleeping. There's so many medications, both natural and more pharmacological, that can help you sleep. People have advice on how to sleep. Well, in our psalm today, David is a man who sleeps well. And we might expect that because David is the author of Psalm 23. He knows that the Lord is his shepherd, so of course he'd be sleeping well. He does speak about going through the valley of deep darkness. And there are times that we might know where David's soul needed restoring, where he had fallen, where he had indeed crashed. But in this psalm, David sleeps well. And the fact that he's able to sleep well is remarkable. And that's something that we're going to really uncover, is how remarkable David's sleep is in the light of his situation. If you want to open up to Psalm 3, we're starting um, a three-week series just on the first um, of the three Psalms of David in the book of Psalms, Psalms 3, 4, and 5. So we'll look at 4 next week and 5 the week after. The title of Psalm 3 is there, a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now, these Old Testament names might be familiar to us or they may be unfamiliar to us. Absalom is David's son and he was a son that he deeply loved. On hearing of Absalom's death, David says this in 2 Samuel 18. He says, My son Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Absalom is a son that David has a great degree of affection for him. But this affection, well, this affection is in a troubled circumstance. Because David is really, David is in this nightmare situation where the son that he loves, well, that, that love is not returned to David. The son that he loves has been turned against him. And not only this, but here there is a knife that's you know, already in his heart that his son is turned against him. But the twisting of that knife is that Absalom is leading many in Israel against David. And yet, David sleeps 
You'll notice um, there in verse 1, he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And again in verse 6, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. David is in a perilous situation. He's in a very dangerous circumstance. On the one hand, there are those with military might who chase him. And there are also those who perhaps don't bear the sword, but speak from their mouths. There in verse 2, they're watching and they're waiting. They're trying to ruin David, not with a sword, but with their mouths. They're kind of like um, commentators. I don't know if you've uh, watched any of the State of Origin series, but one thing I've noticed is uh, commentators are experts on everything. And if only the players did exactly what they said, then, you know, everything would go well. Well, that's what these are. That's what in verse 2 we have. We have these commentators who are, who are giving their opinion on the situation and um, they're trying to bring David down. And so you can imagine what it would be like to be David, having your son pursue you with a sword and having those who see this situation speak lies and gossip around you. You can imagine what it would be like to hit the bed at night to have every thought and every situation that's happened throughout that day run through your mind and as you lie in the bed and often happens when you lie down and you're still those thoughts become accelerated those conversations those circumstances the potential for harm the danger that's before David if it was me in that situation, and I suggest perhaps some of you, it would not be a restful night. You would not sleep easy. But here is David in verse 5. Have a look there in verse 5. I lay down and I sleep. It's stunningly simple. He sleeps despite his life being at threat, despite the dishonour of his son turning against him, despite lies and gossip of those who seek him his downfall. And how does he sleep? Well, he sleeps because, you'll see in the next section there in verse 5, the Lord sustains him. How does the Lord sustain how does the Lord sustain us when there are situations that grip us? When we lie down in our bed and we play over those conversations where there's circumstances that are out of our control, how might we find the peace that David had? Well, I think there are four lessons from this psalm um, and we're going to look at them in turn. So the first lesson is that David tells God about it. That's what we see in Psalm 3. Firstly, he tells God about it, and you can see that in verses 1 and 2. He, he shares his burden with God. He says there in verse 1, How, Lord, how many are my foes? 
Now, th this might seem, you know, kind of simple and obvious, but, and, and maybe it is, but it's not easy. Um, often when we're overwhelmed and we're burdened, we're so wound up in what's going on for us, God seems quite distant from us. And to speak to him seems like a nice idea, but it's not often the impulse of our hearts. But this is what David does. Again there in verse 2, he, he's saying to God, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. You see, for David, this is not just a personal situation. It's something that God is caught up in. For David, for David's demise to come about, David's concerned. He, he's concerned for himself, but he's concerned for how this might reflect upon God. What are people going to say about God is David's concern. If David is God's king, what happens to him reflects upon God. And the same is true for us. If we are God's children, what happens to us reflects upon God. I want to remind you this morning that in the various situations that we have in life, and particularly when we're overwhelmed personally for what's going on in our lives, God is not distant from us in the very trouble of in, in the very trouble that we might feel. God is with us in it because um, how we respond reflects upon him. David was bearing the pain of his situation, but a restlessness is not something that David needs to bear. He brings it to God. And in this situation, interestingly, David is, is writing it down. He's writing it out. And practically expressing what is going on for us in a, um, in a written way can be very helpful. Because what we often do is we just allow things to be caught in the cavern of our minds. And what happens when things are caught up in the cavern of our minds is they get built up and they get worse. And often our problem is that we are, we are using a restless mind to find peace. And what happens when you use a restless mind to find peace? You don't find peace. You become increasingly restless. But here David is, is just speaking. He's not... A, at this point, asking for anything, he's just, he's just letting God know what's on his heart. He's letting God know how he feels. And so to write out what's on our hearts can be a very, very helpful thing to, to get us out of our restless minds and to take us into a more restless, to, to a more peaceful place. Uh, even to speak our prayers out loud can be helpful. In fact, in the, in the history of Christianity, silent prayer 
and silent Bible reading have, to some extent, been a recent phenomenon. And so we see here in Psalm 3 that David is, is speaking. He's externalising what's going on inside of him. He's casting his burdens upon God, a God whose shoulders are far more able to bear the weight of his burden than his shoulders are. So firstly, David is finding peace by telling God how he feels. And secondly, we see David find peace by looking for God's presence. David begins to look for and sense the presence of God in his situation. Many of us, when we're feeling overwhelmed and burdened, we, we feel a loneliness and we feel a distance from God. But David knows that whatever is occurring for him, he's not walking alone. But you, O Lord, he says, you are with me. And what is God to David? Well, you see that in verse 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. Here in verse 3, I think, are just majestic words for the Christian life. Um, if you take nothing else from this sermon, take, take verse 3 and place them upon your heart. Place them upon, at the end of the day, a day of distress and a day of confusion. Place them upon your heart. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Who is God to David? Well, God is one who protects him. And you notice how the image there is that of a shield. And it's not simply that the shield is in front as you might expect a shield to be. Uh, the problem with having a shield out front is it leaves the sides vulnerable. Notice the language there in verse 3. You are a shield around me. You're not just a shield in front of me, David says. You, you are a shield around me. It's a 360-degree shield. And not only that, you are my glory, and here is why. Verse 3, you are the one who lifts my head high. Uh, Mandy and I, uh, of recent months, have been quite taken with body language experts. Has anyone seen videos, perhaps on YouTube or shows, about body language experts? Anyone seen anything recently? That's uh, just us. <laughs> and the six million other people that watch the YouTube show. It, it's, it's been fascinating. Um, there's this great clip of this man who's being interrogated for murder and um, he's very confident at the start of the interview. He, he's a man in control. He's a very senior colonel in the Canadian Air Force and his body language is very open. But as the two-hour interrogation unfolds, as evidence is brought before him, his body language increasingly starts to close and when the final piece of evidence is put before him and when he admits to the murder, his body language is so restricted. He's almost kind of holding, holding himself 
as he confesses to this murder. We get a hint of David's body language, of all that's been going on for him, pursued by his son, undermined by those who seek his demise. His head is down. He's literally downcast physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And here David reminds himself that God is like a father. You know, when your kids often, if, if you have children, a kid hears the stern voice of a parent, the head goes down. They, they fail to be able to look you in the eyes. But here it's as if God is his father and he's placing his hands under his drooping chin and his head and he's, and he's lifting so gently David's head and he's asking David to look in his face because when a person sees the face of God, when they see the face of his kindness, of his grace, of his protection, of his provision, you begin to see the glory of God. And here this glory of God, as David gets a glimpse of it, is reflected in his own face. You are my glory. Why is David so captured by the glory of God? Because he knows who God is to him. He's a God who lifts the downcast up. He's a God who protects those who feel so vulnerable and undermined. So firstly, we've seen that David finds peace by just, just telling God how he feels. Secondly, he finds a peace by looking for the presence of God. And thirdly, he finds a peace by being reminded that he need not fear. He need not fear. He says there, he says, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me from every side. See, here is the connection between how he relates to God and how he relates to his circumstances. There's a connection there. There's a connection for us as well. When we walk close with God, the circumstances and, and even the, the very difficult circumstances of our lives are, are something that we can bear. But when we are distant from God, it's very, it's very difficult for us to bear those circumstances. They, they seem to us overwhelming. But here David is not afraid. He's not afraid of the thousands who are coming to get him. He's not afraid because he knows, back in verse 3, that God has become his shield. He's not afraid. He tells God how he feels. He's looking for the presence of God. And thirdly, he's not afraid. We see this in the New Testament, that the disciples were afraid Jesus' disciples were in a storm in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was at the stern of the boat sleeping. And they come to Jesus in the middle of this storm and Jesus' question after he steals the storm in Mark chapter, 
chapter 5 is interesting. He says, why are you afraid? Later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, Peter was arrested for being a follower. And on the night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, what was Peter doing? Well, we're told in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, that Peter was sleeping. Sleeping bound with two soldiers. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in his cell. He tapped Peter on the side and he woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. Why was Peter sleeping? Why was Jesus sleeping in the middle of the storm? Perhaps it's because they both knew something of Psalm 3. Perhaps it's because they had let God know how they felt. They were looking for the presence of God and they had nothing to fear. Finally, we see in this psalm that David is reminded that God is a God who rescues. You see that in verses 7 and 8 there in verse 7. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Here at the conclusion of this psalm, it sounds um, somewhat bloodthirsty. It's, it might read to us this sense of revenge that's on David's heart and mind, but I don't think that's the case. David is God's king. And the situation that David is in being pursued by Absalom, his son, this situation was not just a personal problem for David with the threat of his life. It wasn't just a family problem. It wasn't merely even a national disaster. This was, for David, an issue of God's honour. And here he's asking God, to be at work. He's asking God for deliverance. And he's asking God to bring about the destruction of his enemies. And we pray a similar prayer. We pray as Christian people that as the word of the gospel is preached, as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is understood, we pray that the powers of darkness and the powers of evil, we pray that they, that they might be shattered in the teeth, that the evil one, with his schemes and with his devices, might be stopped. And we ask that those who delight in the weakening of the church or those who seek to undermine it, we pray that they might turn and trust in the Lord Jesus like Saul did on the road to Tarsus. David finishes this psalm in verse 8. He says, From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I want to end with this. It is God who delivers. We need to remember that. Because it's God who delivers. When we're overcome 
when we're overwhelmed, when we're caught by fear and anxiety, often our first impulse is that we might try and deliver ourselves. But here at the end of Psalm 3, David reminds himself and he declares that it's God who delivers. And so we too, we too, when we're caught in those moments of anxiety, when we're overwhelmed, we must remember that it's God who delivers. And if it's God who delivers, then we can come and we can tell him how we feel. We can look for his presence in our lives and we're reminded that we have nothing to fear because the Lord comes to deliver. Amen. Please stand as we sing.